2: A Wisconsin dairy farmer with two prosthetic legs is suing the Biden administration for a COVID relief plan that disqualifies him because he's white. Just the latest case of wokeness in action from the federal government. Friends, it is time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. So, you may have seen some headlines about this, but just in case, I want to give you the backstory here about what is going on. There's a man named Adam Faust. Now, he lives in the state of Wisconsin. You can see him here. He is a farmer. It's probably figured out Faust Farms right there in the background. He has two prosthetic legs. So, he is also a disabled American, a disabled American farmer. And he has had a very difficult time during COVID 19, as so many other tens of millions of Americans have, including many farmers all across the country. And so he wanted some loan forgiveness as part of a fund, a $4 billion fund set aside by the Biden administration in the recent COVID relief bill. Pretty straightforward, right? $4 billion loan relief for farmers, except he's the wrong skin color. That's right, you can only be a non-white farmer Under the bill that was passed and under the Democrat guidelines here, you can only be a non-white farmer and access the money in this $4 billion fund. Now, some of you may be thinking, hmm, that sounds a lot like racial discrimination. Because it is. But the Biden administration, trying to go as fully woke as it can, is fighting this. So there's a lawsuit. uh, Plaintiffs eligible for the loan forgiveness benefit Uh, they would have the opportunity to make additional investments in their property, expand their farm, purchase equipment and supplies, and otherwise support their families and local communities. Because plaintiffs are ineligible to even apply for the program solely due to their race, they have been denied the equal protection of the law and therefore suffered harm. Friends, this is a very important case. I know it's just one farmer in Wisconsin, but this goes to the critical, the essential, the bedrock principle of equal protection under the law. If as a U.S. citizen, you cannot be generally uh, able to access funds set aside by the federal government to help people in a certain profession or in a certain industry, because only people of certain skin color are getting a preference, that's a huge problem. And this isn't what you normally see. This isn't holistic admissions. This is a, a straight up rejection. You are white. You can't get the funds. So they can't hide in these gray areas they normally do when they want to use racial preferences in either hiring or school admissions because this is a straight-up prohibition. You are white, you don't get the money. You're another race and a farmer, you can get this money. This is wokeness in action. Going after bedrock principles, going after aspects of our constitutional order, that we either defend or we're going to be living in a very different country. We either hold the line against this or the left will continue its march toward autocracy and authoritarianism and the Marxism that they espouse based upon identity politics instead of class politics. This is not the only instance of really over the line wokeness, which I just define as weaponized political correctness. That has happened in recent days. I mean, if you just want to get a sense of where the country is right now and what is being, uh, what is being attacked as a problem, what's being uh, held up as something that needs immediate attention, you might have seen the quiz show Jeopardy. I've watched it many, many times. Probably the most famous quiz show of all time on television, more so than Wheel of Fortune. There's a guy, uh, I don't even remember his name, doesn't matter. He's a three-time winner on Jeopardy. So he held up. Three fingers, right? Like if you hold up three, like the, but he did it on his chest. And what we're told is that holding the three fingers on the chest is in fact a white supremacist solidarity symbol. This is crazy. He held up one finger the first time he won, two fingers the second time he won. Clearly he's just saying three, like, ha, look at me, I've won three times but he puts the hand on his chest, and all of a sudden it's a huge problem. He's a white, this guy, this guy, you think this guy's really, this guy's a nerd. he's He's a white supremacist solidarity. Now, let's be very clear. This isn't just something that a few internet trolls brought up. You had 500 former Jeopardy! contestants sign their name to some letter saying that this, even if it is an unintentional act of solidarity with white supremacists, how is that even a thing? Uh, that jeopardy needs to put out a statement of condemnation condemning what that this guy can count to three it's stupid beyond words but there's even more there's more of this stuff you know that uh, disneyland out in california in anaheim yeah disneyland not disney world out in anaheim california it's been shut down for a long time finally reopening because the covid lockdowners it seems are not going to be able to keep their hands on our throats for all of eternity They're they're making it hard, but sure enough, people are realizing that it is time to go back to life. So they're opening up Disneyland in Anaheim, California, and there's a ride, a Snow White ride. Well, some writers for the San Francisco Chronicle or at a site that's owned by the San Francisco Chronicle uh, had a problem with it because, you guessed it, no consent in the kiss. That's right, this is the America we live in now. A story, a fairy tale in a magical far-off place that involves a woman who goes, you know, for nap time for, I don't know, years or months or whatever it is because she ate an apple with a witch poisoning it is now a problem of uh, rape culture. That's, that's what we're turning into as a society. I I could say look, I mean, give me a break, right? You know, it's not like the handsome prince roofied her. This is absurd. But What we're seeing increasingly is the left is testing the outer limits of their power. How crazy can the woke get before people finally revolt against this? How crazy can the authoritarian Democrats be on social issues, on policy issues? We showed you the farmer. How far can they push some of this stuff before the American people finally say enough is enough? I could sit here and go through countless examples of individuals who are fired for no good reason because they offend The wokeness, people who are called upon to step down from their jobs, companies taking action against individuals because they shared an unpopular opinion. Always conservative, by the way. Today, we even have Twitter removing statements that people are putting putting on it that are statements that come from Donald Trump's public pronouncement. So if you quote Donald Trump right now, the former president on Twitter, they may suspend your account. I mean, this is Soviet-level suppression. Wake up, everybody. This is what's going on in America today, and we either fight back against it or they win. There's really no middle ground. All right, after the break, Senator Tim Scott was subjected to a barrage of racism after he delivered the rebuttal to President Joe Biden's address before Congress. So how do Democrats respond? Well, they didn't seem to mind. After the break, Chairman of the Texas GOP, Alan West, joins us to give his perspective. Stay with us. If you've ever thought about real estate investing, I want you to take me up on this recommendation. Visit doneforyoubuck.com where you can learn more about my friends at Done For You Real Estate. If you haven't checked them out yet, let me make this easy for you. These guys have found a way to make real estate investing straightforward and their system flat out works. I know because I'm using it. It allows everyday hardworking Americans to finally own investment real estate without all the risk and difficulty of doing it on your own. I can't possibly tell you in strong enough terms during this 60-second commercial how important it is you check these guys out. So how about this? If you visit doneforyoubuck.com, at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did with Done For You Real Estate where you can hear my experience in my own words, right? I'll tell you about it in detail from picking the city to the house, getting the broker, getting the loan, even getting a tenant set up so I get that free cash flow coming to me every month. All you have to do is go to DunforYouBuck.com, listen to that podcast interview, and give my friends at Done For You Real Estate a chance to show you what they can do for you. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott was hit with a barrage of racist attacks following his rebuttal address to President Biden's speech last week. Among other slurs, he was called a tap dancer, and the term Uncle Tim even trended on Twitter for hours. The phenomenon wasn't limited to random trolls on the Internet. One Democratic Party official named Gary O'Connor wrote on Facebook, quote, I had hoped that Scott might show some common sense, but it seems clear he is little more than an Oreo with no real principles. O'Connor later apologized for the remark and offered his resignation, which Democrats refused to accept. Guess it's okay to use racial slurs as long as it's against Republicans. The move prompted chairman of the Texas GOP, Alan West, to speak out. Watch.
3: When you want to talk about institutionalized racism, when you want to talk about the systemic racism and the pervaders thereof, it's the Democrat Party. They have always been. They never voted for the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. They are the party of Jim Crow. They're the party of segregation, of slavery. And now, thanks to the soft bigotry of low expectations, they're the party that sees independent thinking black men and women as a threat. Oreos, Uncle Tom, House N-Word, you know what I'm talking about. They're the real sellouts.
2: Joining us right now is the chairman of the Texas GOP, uh, Alan West. Chairman West, good to see you. Good to be with you, Bob, thank you. I appreciate the history, the short history lesson you were giving about the Democrat party overall. What do you make of the fact that There was really very little media coverage or certainly uh, outrage about the fact that a Republican senator who is black was maligned publicly in this way by so many people across the Internet. It feels like if if he had been a Democrat, there would be a need for a, a conversation on race across the nation. We didn't
3: see that, Chairman West. No, you didn't and as a matter of fact if it had been the opposite direction it would have been all over your mainstream media all over any news outlet and there would have been calls for said person to resign i remember what they talked about with steve king uh the congressman from iowa forcing him to to resign and all the chatter about that but what has really happened buck is that the white progressive socialist left has been enabled by black Democrats to go after black conservatives. When you have someone like Joe Biden, when he was running for office, who said that if you're black, well, if you are black and you don't vote for me, you ain't black. So in other words, we we don't even exist, we're not even recognized. And so therefore, a person like Gary O'Connor can use a very vile, very denigrating and disparaging racist slur against a sitting United States senator on an open social media platform. Platform. And the Democrats say, hey, it's okay. Just stay in your position. We'll just uh, let this thing pass by because they accept any type of racism against those people that don't believe in them and believe in their ideology. We are to them exactly what Gary O'Connor said. How is it
2: that the, the media also normalizes what is a clear double standard here in racist attacks on black Americans who happen to be conservative? Uh, They they don't reach anywhere near the levels of outrage that they would, as you point out, if it were in the other direction, politically speaking, how can we fight back against this? I mean, what, what are the options at our disposal to try to show that there's something very insidious at work here with the framework that black Americans are put into by the Democrat Party and the mainstream media?
3: Well, the thing is that they have been emboldened because over time, no one has ever stood up to them on this. I remember Condoleezza Rice when she was the Secretary of State or National Security Advisor, and the whole thing was about uranium tubes and and, and nuclear weapons and what have you. And the Washington Post put out there a very nasty cartoon of her being in mammy uniform, saying, "I knows nothing about birthing tubes," but nothing was ever done. So over time. You know, going after Clarence Thomas, disrespecting and disregarding people like Herman Cain or Thomas Sowell or Walter Williams or Shelby Steele. Uh, Look at how they, you know, treat uh, black conservatives like myself. I've been called white man's porch monkey on uh, social media platforms. And if there is never any consequence, then they just become even more emboldened. And what happened here in Lamar County was that the uh, Democrats went to, quote-unquote, the black Democrats and got permission so that, uh, you know, him using a racist slur against Senator Tim Scott, they feel that it was okay. And they got their permission from the blacks that they do recognize and respect black Democrats.
2: That's that's astonishing. You know, uh, Ch- uh, Chairman West, it, it seems as though there's just not – outrage within a majority of the black community when a black conservative is attacked on on purely racial grounds we see this happening time and again
3: why is that well because again i just think that the democrat party has done a very good job of marginalizing uh, those voices of black conservatives, those people that don't want to be part of their 21st century economic plantation, and they have been able to get away with it. And again, you just brought up the key point. It's the media buying buying into this duplicitous hypocrisy that enables them to continue on. You did not see this as a headline on the Washington Post or New York Times or what have you. You did not even see it as a major headline here in Texas, uh, the Austin uh, Statesman or the Houston Chronicle whatever. Everyone should be appalled that anyone could use a racist slur against a sitting U.S. senator, unless he is a U.S. senator that happens to be black and happens to be Republican. So I think that we have to stand up as Republicans and join together and say we're no longer going to accept this. You cannot just demonize people one way and call them white supremacists or racist because they don't agree with your ideological agenda or your narrative, such as voting rights and voting integrity. Do you
2: think that the black community is Uh, going to be receptive to messages going forward about the rise in crime in major cities and Democrat-controlled cities and how the undermining of police has led to this? I mean, how do we get that message through? Because it seems like the Democrats won't listen to the numbers, so to speak, when it comes to violent crime, but they may listen to outrage in the black community itself that there needs to actually be more law enforcement.
3: Well, that's why I don't like the word outreach. I think that we need to have better engagement in the minority communities to talk about the failure of safety and security, to talk about the failed public schools that you have there, to talk about the murder of the unborn babies, seventy-three percent of Planned Parenthood Clinics located in black communities, and these communities are under Democrat quote unquote leadership. So I think that we have to, as a Republican Party, be engaged in the inner city, in the urban environments. Uh, we have not done a good job of that. We've got to do a lot better. And also, we need to have more on our conservative media to bring out this hypocrisy and keep hammering away at it and let them know that this is not just going to go away. This is a major story that someone could refer to a sitting black United States senator as an Oreo, and there are no ramifications thereof. Chairman West, always
2: appreciate you joining us, sir. We'll talk
3: to you soon. It's my pleasure, bud. Thank you
2: got violent crime surging across the country and specifically in New York City. After the break, we'll take a look at the numbers and why it's happening with retired NYPD detective Harry Houck. Stay with us. I've been telling you for a while now about online thieves who can easily steal your home's title. But you don't have to take my word for it. Take it from this thief who stole over 150 homes and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. This is why you need home title lock. Not only that, you don't even own your home anymore. It's not even in your name. Heard enough? Don't let this crime happen to you. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and enter code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. With May 19th on the horizon, New York City is finally preparing to reopen. Unfortunately, it looks like the increase in activity is also bringing an increase in crime. The NYPD reported the overall crime index jumped 30% from April of 2020. With a lot of officers fearing it's only going to get worse. Let's talk about what's really happening here with the surge in crime across the country, including in New York City. Joining me now, retired NYPD Detective Harry Hauk. Harry, great to have you. Buck, thanks for having me again. What's going on? We have the worst year for a spike in murders. The spike in the homicide rate over the last 12 months is the highest I've been saying in 20 years. I've actually heard since the 1960s in terms of one year increase. Your career NYPD detective. What's going on here? Why is this happening?
1: Democrat leadership, that's the bottom line. And there's no other way I could put it. Um, even before COVID, The crime was on its way up because of our illustrious mayor, de Blasio, Um, but now we had COVID hit and the crazy restrictions in COVID, and the fact that there's this constant message out there that the police are bad, uh, and police officers are holding back. They're not being as aggressive as they used to be, and at the same time, district attorney's offices aren't being as aggressive as they used to be, because we have new district attorneys in New York also. I mean, the Blasio came out the other day saying that this will all calm down as soon as the court's open, the courts open. Are you kidding me? As soon as the courts open? They never did anything in the first place. When's the last time you've seen anybody go to jail for carrying a gun in New York, for crying out loud, or committing assault, or for uh, assaulting a police officer? Never. And, and this is a result of those actions.
2: Harry, it seems that Part of the, of the storyline here, especially from the Biden administration on down to leadership in, in New York and other cities where they've had, I mean, there's no question about the data, things like homicide, rape. I mean, the most serious crimes, way up beyond just double digits into, you know, 30, 35, 40% increases year over year. It seems that what we're being told, and I, I see this in a lot of the corporate media outlets, is that, oh, well, this is a result of COVID. Um, Uh, explain from a law enforcement perspective with fewer people interacting fewer people actually out on the streets or anywhere for that matter over the course of the year we went through lockdowns shouldn't it be the opposite effect shouldn't there be less crime if covid were really
1: the issue oh exactly but covid is always their excuse i mean the covid excuse i i i wonder how many more years are going to be able to use this excuse you know, for uh, for a lack of leadership in the state. You know, and police officers in, in New York City and in a lot of these other uh, cities where you see the uh, crime rate spike only have a few choices now, what they can and what they can't do. You know, when I was a police officer, we went to a call and, you know, uh, you know, possible shots fired or a fight or something like that. You know, you just didn't even think about it and you got there and you did your job. Now as a police officer, you're thinking, okay, I'm a white police officer. Is that a black perpetrator? Now, what if I do something against this black perpetrator? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my pension? Am I going to go to jail? All these got to go through your mind. And then when you finally get to the scene, it's still going through your mind and you're saying to yourself, well, what should I do right now? now what do I do?
2: One of, of the, the uh, things that the activists, the BLM activists, uh, I, I call them anti-cop activists, have been calling for is an end to There's- qualified... Immunity for law enforcement officers. Can you explain both what that is when you're on the job and what it would mean for that to be gone?
1: Well, basically, it means uh, a police officer can't be personally sued for their actions. All right, so that protects them because police officers out there are involved in so many different incidents and so many different things that um, they, they can be sued consistently. All right, so that w- that would happen um, if uh, you know if, if they got rid of that law now. If that happens, you're going to see police officers basically either doing nothing or go to Republican-run states. Um, that's the only choice that they have. Um, you know, you're going to be out there doing your job, doing the best job you can, all right, and in good faith. And next thing you know, you're being sued. It's not going to happen. I tell you, police officers will flee. You think a lot of cops are leaving the cities now? You wait till, if that ever happens and they pass that law.
2: Yeah, and, and the, the defund the police movement, also give us a sense. I mean, I, I was in Austin recently. I met with a member of the city council who said that they cut the city police budget there by 150 million dollars. And oh, by the way, in the same year they did that, the murder rate in that city doubled, uh, as well as uh, and with all the other crimes that, that they uh, tabulate, all the other serious criminal offenses, way up. They didn't even spend the money, they just... What what does it mean when when a department finds out that, you know, 10%, 15% of the budget is just slashed?
1: uh, What does that do? Well, basically, police officers can't respond to certain areas with overtime. You know, overtime's a big thing for police officers. If you've got a spike in crime in certain areas in New York, they used to flood that area with police officers. Well, they probably can't do that anymore because they don't have the resources to be able to do that, and also the money for training. All I've ever heard of Democrat politicians talk about training. Our cops need more training. They need more training. Well, you know what? Give us the money. Cops love training. You know, they want to know what to do out there on the street. And uh, you know, you defund the police, you get less training, and then what the police officers do? Well, I guess uh, not much.
2: Now, I know we got people that watch from all over the country, so I don't want to drill down too much just into New York, but to use New York City's numbers right now, it is the largest city in right. the country, as a, a, you know, symbolic or emblematic of what's going on across the country, is, it seems pretty fair, at least in major cities. You have uh, from April of 2020 to April of 2021, shootings, Harry, up 166%. Grand larceny, up 66%. Felony assault, 35%. Robbery, 28%. I, I mean, if these aren't hit the, uh, you know, hit the broken glass, uh, alarm bells going off kind of numbers, I don't know what is. How do you turn, how do you actually turn this around? I mean, I, you and I both know defunding cops and leaving them out to dry doesn't work. In fact, it's the reason we've got this. So if we wanted to get this going in the other direction, what would have to be done? Well,
1: first of all, you got to get rid of de Blasio. Uh, the, the Democrats are putting the handcuffs on the police officers. Now, let's remember, you know, when I first became a police officer in New York back in the early 80s, crime was through the roof. And it went on that way all the way until Giuliani became the, uh, the mayor of New York. So what happens, what has to happen is that the, the liberals in New York City have got to get tired of the crime like they did before Giuliani and finally say to themselves, all right, we've had enough of this type of leadership in New York, now we need a Republican in here where he can change things around and bring back the old New York City that we all know and love.
2: Harry, what do you see happening going into this summer, given the political realities across the country when it comes to law enforcement?
1: It doesn't look good. And, I, and all police officers I'm talking about, talking to, you know, they're basically saying, listen, man, this summer's gonna be tough. I don't know how to respond to it. Um, you know, and you know, you're not going to want to get involved uh, in an incident where you know somebody's resisting arrest. Maybe you just let that guy go. Maybe if uh, you know you respond to a scene in a radio car, just make sure you get there safely, and may- maybe it's over. But I tell you what, what's also got to happen is that the people who live in these inner cities, and there's a lot of them, all right, in New York City, that are pro-police, they need to come out and start speaking. Because if they don't, then these police officers are going to leave and you have to throw the National Guard in here to keep some of these places uh, crime-free.
2: Former NYPD detective, Harry Haug. Harry, always good to see you, man. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Buck. Have a good one, buddy. President Biden promised children will be back in the classroom within a hundred days of taking office, right? So how's that coming along? We've got senior contributor to the Federalist, Inez Felcher, joining us to answer that question in just a moment.
1: Mr President, where are you? Where are you? Why aren't you working on this? We need emergency support funding for our schools and we need it now. That's what you should be focused on now. Getting our kids back to school safely, keeping schools
2: safely able to remain open. President Biden back on the campaign trail last year, attacking then President Trump on getting American kids back into classrooms. Fast forward to today, and the Biden administration won't even commit to reopening schools 100% by the fall. Not to mention 30% of kids are currently still not fully back in the classrooms for in-person learning. And where are the teachers' unions? Why aren't they trying to help students recover academically? Why don't we have summer school? Oh, that's right. They're too busy prioritizing critical race theory syllabi instead. Here with Reaction, we have senior contributor at The Federalist, Inez Felcher. Inez, always a pleasure.
0: Always great to be here, Buck. Let's
2: start with the critical race theory in the uh, state legislatures and also even at the local school boards. This seems like this is a real fight that's uh, playing out across the country. What can you tell us about places where they're either instituting this or fighting against brainwashing kids with CRT?
0: Unfortunately, where they're instituting it, um, it, it, you know, pick a place, pick a state, red, blue, um, city, rural. Unfortunately, these types of ideas like critical race theory or something that goes along with a similar narrative like the 1619 Project. Um, these are very much enmeshed in the school culture at every level in our public schools so the schools of education that teachers are going to they're teaching this this perspective and um, a lot of teacher trainings give this perspective a lot of the, the bureaucrats involved in the system have this perspective so it's just sort of marinated throughout the system um, and and in some way it's good that this has been uh, in the news as much as it has uh, because parents are finally organizing to fight back it's finally crossed that kind of line, I think, especially after the last year where a lot of parents did get to see firsthand what their kids were learning because they were unfortunately learning on Zoom at home. So parents are actually able to hear what is going on in some of our classrooms and and they're not happy about it.
2: There's certainly the beginnings of a backlash here. We have the Idaho governor signing legislation uh, withholding funding from schools that adopt CRT. Texas is moving forward to prohibit woke philosophies. That's gonna be interesting. Tennessee House has approved a ban on CRT in public schools. Arizona State House passes a bill banning CRT in public schools. Oklahoma and Arkansas working on bills. Those red states, Inez, looks like they're actually getting pretty involved in the fight against CRT in the curricula.
0: Well, it's it's certainly welcome for the Republican Party to take this issue seriously. They haven't for decades. Um, This is not something that has cropped up overnight. The fact that the left has increasingly especially the cultural left, taken over most of the levels of the education system its something that the Republican Party has been ignoring for decades. But their their turnaround on this issue is certainly more than welcome. Um, Some of the bills are quite messy legislatively. Some pieces of it may not survive uh, court challenges. Uh, But the the bottom line is this Uh, anything that you do to a white student in a public school, which is a government action, right? um, You you couldn't do to a black student under civil rights law is still forbidden by our civil rights law, i.e. if you are, for example, segregating kids into affinity groups. um, There's a very strong, um, very strong argument that that is uh, both contrary to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and potentially unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. Discrimination, racial discrimination, they can call it critical race theory all they want, but it boils down too often to racial discrimination by the government that is already illegal in this country, and it should be enforced.
2: And as I know you also are keeping a close eye on what's going on with in-person learning across the country and the teachers' unions, Uh, based on the data, based on the CDC guidance, based on even the pronouncements of the Biden administration, I I think it's still surprising for some people uh, to find out that 30% of kids across the nation right now, K through 12, are still not doing full-time in-person learning. And there's also the possibility that in places like New York, they're talking a big game now, but other cities across the country may have the same problem. They might not have kids in full-time school, even this what can you tell us about where that fight stands?
0: Sure. Um, unfortunately, this is another place where we found that parents have very little leverage. That that too much of the decision making seems to be uh, made behind the scenes with the power of the teachers' unions. Um, and and by the way, I would point out one of the best ways to balance that kind of power would be to give leverage to all parents by allowing them to control the dollars that we spend on behalf of their children's education. I'm talking about school choice, which is often um, used as, as uh, or, or um, pumped a policy to get folks out of failing schools or or for kids who are exiting the system. But I would I would emphasize that it's just as important for people who want their kids to stay in, in a public school. Because you have so much more leverage when you are going in to fight the system to demand for example that American schools reopen the way that schools in Europe have been for months and months. Uh, the way that that schools in in, um, states like Florida have been open most of these past few months. Um, So that kind of leverage when you go in to make that argument is critical when you have a bunch of of parents who are saying not only are we unhappy with this but you have to listen to us because if we choose to walk we take X number of millions of dollars with us that's that's critical leverage for all of these battles from critical race theory. uh, You know gender curricula all those kinds of things as well as finally reopening the last
2: third of American schools. Well, that's an essential point you're making. It is because as I sit here and and keep reading article after article about how it is, it is quite apparent to anyone paying attention that the reason for uh, in-person learning not being universal at this point, and even stretching back for many months, is teachers unions making unreasonable demands, effectively holding kids hostage, saying, you know, maybe we'll get back to in-person learning if you give us more personnel, more benefits, whatever it may be. Fill in the blank. They want more money. This is about money and power for adults. But what's in some ways even more disconcerting is that while people see this, it hasn't resulted in anything. Because what do you do, right? And so, I mean, to the, point, to the point you're making about having the dollars move, the teachers unions haven't suffered one bit, even though they've upset the public, right? There's, there's not any sanctions that have been taken against them.
0: Yeah, it's funny. People who argue against school choice are always talking about accountability. Accountability. What will happen if kids go to schools without accountability? Well, I'm I'm not I'm not seeing a whole lot of accountability from the teachers unions or from public schools uh, to parents who are furious that their kids have been um, denied in-person learning options now in many cases for over a year with devastating results. Um, and, and so. I mean, the teachers' union's demands are are ridiculous. They've already received roughly four times their usual allotment of federal dollars, right? Um, And and frankly, the way those dollars are going to be spent um, is particularly revealing the fact that this is not about public health at all. So, for example, the latest uh, relief package, right, um, contained yet again billions and billions for the public school system, but most of those billions won't even be spent until after this year. Um, And in fact, there'll be more of those dollars spent in 2020 and there will be this year. So this is not about actually getting getting us back to school um, at the end and hopefully the close of this pandemic. Um, It's about 2026 and staffing up and being able to pay bigger salaries for bureaucrats for the next five years. That's what they're holding out for.
2: Inez, I always appreciate your expertise. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. An unhinged man goes on a tirade against a maskless woman in a supermarket. We've got the video. You're gonna wanna see it in Quick Hits up next. We're living in very uncertain times and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in today is anything but predictable. The government is passing massive spending bills. The Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency. And many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the coming months. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We could all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. Well, what could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group right now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD. And ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Call them right now, 833-600-GOLD, 833-600-GOLD. Twitter tightens their ban on Donald Trump and a pair of viral mask videos top tonight's quick hits. Let's get started. So first off, we have Twitter suspending people for sharing what Donald Trump said on his From the Desk of Donald Trump website. So what this means now is that you on social media platforms are not allowed to quote the former president of the United States because that gets his message out. You are not allowed to share it. This is absolutely insane. Here you can see Twitter suspending posts from Donald Trump's own website. DJT desk, DJ Trump desk, desk of Donald J. Trump. Not not allowed. Not allowed. Okay. So, you know, you can't have have anything affiliated with the Trump website. You can't have quotes from Trump out there. And, I mean, am I allowed to share it? Because I feel like I'm probably not. Who knows? They just make it up as they go along. But there's something else that I thought was interesting. This just came across our our desk right as we came on air here. Twitter says it is releasing a feature that automatically detects mean replies on its service and prompts people to review the replies before sending them. That's right. Twitter now wants to wage war on meanness. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to take a wild stab at this one. Do you think that Twitter is going to protect... Trump supporters and conservatives from the mean tweets as much as it's going to defend leftists, media people, uh, you know, d- different BLM activists, right? Well, who do you think is going to suddenly be protected from the mean tweets more, or rather at least get the warning put up for their possibly mean tweets? It's also... Obvious, isn't it? I mean, these companies are, the the customer service or customer experience people at these companies really are, you know, the the idiot children who watch the Daily Show and MSNBC and think that that's information, that they're, they're being informed, that they actually understand the world. It's stunning that this is where we are as a country, but this is what we're dealing with. This is the situation. You know how I feel about mask shamers mask shamers might be the most annoying people in America. Even more annoying than people who believe that they can use a device in public without headphones and just put it on speaker. You know, have a conversation on speakerphone in a crowded restaurant or, you know, be in a cafe and watch a movie on your phone with no headphones, you know? Yeah, barbarians. Mask shamers are even worse than those people though. Um, And here we have epic mask shaming going on at a supermarket. This is what happens when you watch too much Fauci. Hi, yep.
3: Yeah. Right here. Right there. No mask. Right there.
1: There we go. Canda camera. There we go.
2: I want you to know that your insensitivity is
3: ridiculous.
1: I no longer have grandparents due to this virus because of people like you I'm who sorry, don't want to wear a mask it's in the a, store. It's ridiculous,
2: actually. It's insensitive, and it's disgusting as a human being for you to show so much privilege to all of these people. There are so many older people in here who have health conditions, other people. I'm
0: pregnant, people. And I'm not going to just... I'm not oh, great. Not,
2: I'm so oh, whoop do do! Congratulations if for you your pregnancy. This. It's ridiculous. And I want you to know that. You're on candid camera, and I want you to know that. 4K. Thank you. Uh, I can't stand in more solidarity with the pregnant woman here. Uh, this is ridiculous, all right? Yeah, masks work so well, remember, that everyone has to wear them or else there's really like no protective effect at all because it's both ways they came up with that down the line when it wasn't actually showing up in the numbers the way they said it would, the protective features of the mask. Yeah, um, mask shaming is a plague unto itself and we're gonna see a lot more of this because there are people who are gonna wanna just make others believe, make others marinate in their neuroses All right. At this point in time, everyone's had an opportunity to get a vaccine if they want a vaccine, which means that in a reasonable world, people should just feel like they can go about their lives once they're vaccinated and not worry about anything. Right. Or not worry about anything having to do with COVID, at least. And there's other worries in life. But mask shaming is uh, something that's going to continue. And it's not rational. And the people that have believed in this all along, that believe in Fauci, that believe the double masking mandate that came down in, what, January of this year? Oh, they just figured it out in January, right? It's not because masks didn't do over the winter what they said they would do, which was flatten the curve and all this other stuff. Sure, Uh, you can tell I really get agitated about this issue. Uh, It's not about science, it's about politics, virtue signaling, and people who are sheep. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, people can also choose not to be sheep. Some Utah parents are fed up with the mask mandate at their school. Remember children, very low risk from COVID, very unlikely to transmit COVID, and yet we still have masks on little kids in schools. Here are some parents in Utah who are saying, enough is enough.
0: You will Nope, All right, we, we've had our citizen participation. We're gonna follow, we have had that. <laughs> They're just are
3: babies.
2: No more masks! I no move no 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 that we adjourn this meeting. I want to make that my ringtone. No more masks. No more masks. Fantastic. That's right. People have been vaccinated. If you didn't get vaccinated, that's your choice. But now we get to live our lives. No more ma- masks. Post-vaccination. That's crazy. That's crazy, but see Joe Biden do it. here I am walking around outside with my mask on, because what the science tells me the whole thing is so absurd, isn't it? Friends, we are going to get back to a normal place here soon. No thanks to the psycho libs, but it is going to happen at some point. So just stay with us. We're going to keep pushing through the crazy because they can only cling to those filthy cloth masks they're pulling out of their back pocket after using it a hundred times, because that's really sanitary for so long before eventually... They have to just give up their little blankie. It's their little security blankie. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The no spin news of Mr. Bill O'Reilly is up next, Shields High.